0: I'd thoroughly recommend people just bucking the trend a little bit, or at least testing the limits of it, because I just think too many people just spend their lives boxed in, and until you kind of press the edges a little bit, you just don't know what opportunities there are out there for you.
1: There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the centre of work is the talent, is the individual...
2: Companies today face a global war for talent, and high-skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top freelancers to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Today, I'm talking to Johnny Dunning, founder of Talent. With Talent, Johnny provides tools that help companies simplify how they manage all of their independent talent, from on-demand freelancers, independent consultants. Talon is working to bring it all together.
0: My name is Johnny Dunning. I'm the CEO of Talon. Talon is an on-demand workforce management system. So for large organizations that use lots of contractors, our cloud-based SaaS platform allows them to make 70% savings against the cost of using recruitment agencies by automating the process so they can hire these workers directly. So we're not a gig marketplace. A gig marketplace sells a population to a client we enable a client to build their own private, vetted, on-demand talent population that they can then engage themselves.
2: First, I want to talk about your journey to this chair right here. Okay. So I, you know, we had some folks talk to you before the interview, and you were in your second year of college. Yeah. Let's go back to that, those Let's days. go way back. Let's go way back. You left and hit the road. Yeah. And traveled around. Tell me a little bit about how you made the decision to just leave and start traveling.
0: I think it's a little bit about bucking the trend and it's also about recognizing that it's a big world out there and there are opportunities and things don't have to be the way that they're set out in front of you. And so for me, it was really about taking the opportunity to do something different and expand my horizons. have a great time, obviously, but I was studying environmental biology at university, enjoying myself, had a great group of friends, but for me, there was just something missing. There was a lack of a real challenge and I needed to go out there and and explore that in more detail before I was really going to be in a position to come back and actually knuckle down and do the work that I needed to do to achieve my degree.
2: And whereabouts did you go? Like you, you hit a bunch of places. It wasn't like, hey, I'm just going to go on a six-month adventure to one place. You, you kind of hopped around a bit.
0: Yeah, it was like Australia was the ultimate destination. I was like, okay, let's go a decent distance. I fancy some sunshine. I fancy some surfing. I've always liked the idea of going to Australia. I just mapped out a world tour, effectively, that started off uh, in the Caribbean, then went through southeast asia across australia ran out of money in sydney completely <laughs> ran out of money in sydney <laughs> it's probably the best place to uh have to spend the night in a shop doorway when you've got a nice suburban you know 30 degree temperature but it just had a complete adventure which ended up touring around and living in australia for the bulk of it and doing some work in australia and working also in new zealand but then also traveling back through pacific islands and then the west coast of the us i was meant to fly home from canada but i ended up in mexico managed to work that out in the end. But yeah, it was just a, it was just a fantastic adventure. I was proud of myself for just taking the, taking the risk. I've always been a bit of a risk taker, but you know, it pays off. And you'd recommend that, that path to anyone? I'd thoroughly recommend people just bucking the trend a little bit, or at least testing the limits of it. Because I just think too many people just spend their lives boxed in. And until you kind of press the edges a little bit, you just don't know what opportunities there are out there for you. So you get back to London And you randomly
2: get a job with JobSite. Yeah. How do you go on this big adventure, come back to London? Now you've got a job. How did that come together?
0: Well, it's interesting how things kind of map themselves out and you follow this diverted path. I basically had some ideas mapped out. I studied environmental biology. I had a job lined up with the Australian Institute of Marine Science. I was thinking diving research in the sunshine, did a bit of environmental consultancy. And then I had a really bad knee injury and ended up being hospitalized for a, a period of time, which led me to the requirement for. A job, any job near where I was living that was involved sitting in a chair. And I randomly managed to get a job with some fantastic people, the guys that started uh, JobSite. So fell into this real startup vibrant environment, which is probably a good thing because I was... I was really quite unprofessional. I was just, I'd just come from university. I'd just come from traveling before that.
2: Imagine you right now with like a, a, a huge beard and like, you know, like, like a sunburn and, and like rolling into some startup saying, yeah, I'm an environmental biologist. Like, how can I help?
0: Yeah, exactly. Where's the soy milk? It was kind of like that, but it was, it was more a question of, I actually ended up being interviewed by one of the founders of this company who then brought me in, but he interviewed me when I had a massive hangover. And, you know, with with most job interviews, that could have gone really badly wrong. But with him, it just, it triggered a real kind of, we're on the same level here. (laughs) (laughs) So that just led into the conversation where it was like, you know, you're the right sort of person to fit in with this type of organization.
2: We're moving to a world where it's not just a paycheck. People are willing to take flexibility and actually take a pay reduction. And they're trying to figure out how to balance their life and their passion and, Over the past 10 years, in in your experience, have you seen a change in the way people are looking at, at working in general?
0: I think there is a change. I think it depends on what age bracket of people you're looking at. And I think it depends on certain industries. You know, within certain industries, there's still very set paths that people, you know, they go through university, they get on a graduate scheme and they go through a certain path. But I think there's a general mindset change, which is tied into, in my opinion, there being so much more information available. So much more psychology available to people to understand work-life balance and what's important. And I think people are are making a personal shift as to what their priorities are. Money isn't everything. You know, you've only got one life. Well, let's do something interesting with it. Let's use your abilities and use your talents and actually fulfill some of your own desires and your own dreams.
2: One of the things, and this drives me it's a personal thing that drives me crazy is everybody's like, Oh, you know, the millennials. And I'm like, I look in the mirror and I say, oh, I'm, I'm not a millennial. <laughs> I'm somebody who the paycheck isn't everything. I want to use my talent in a way that I want to be passionate about. Are you seeing it both at, at the people coming into the workforce as well as people that are maybe more senior in their career, or are you only seeing it at the the younger age that's coming in saying, Hey, I, I want choice or I want to follow my passion.
0: I'm personally think that we're seeing it across all age brackets I think when you look at the younger generation, it's more instilled in them as an obvious thing that is just like it's standard. The world is on demand. You know, everything they do is on demand. Whereas for older people, it's a realization that it's almost the clock's ticking. The, the,
2: I've got one life. Like I resonated when you were like, oh, you've got one life to live. I'm like, yeah, I've got one life to live. I've got to. It's like to get busy living or get busy dying. Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. And they're just, you know, I think people in the older age bracket are also, maybe they've even finished up work and they realize they've still got really desirable skills. People still need their expertise. A lot of them get called back in by their old companies anyway. It's just they're recognizing their value more than just, oh, now you're retired. That's it. It's all over Rover.
2: That's not the case, and they're willing to trade off how they work with that company versus maybe you know, being a freelancer
0: or a consultant versus being a full time employee at that stage. Yeah, and you know, I chat to, for example, I go to the gym every morning. I love chatting to people in the gym. They probably don't love it quite so much when <laughs> they're trying to do their workout, but it's a quite a social thing for me. I talk to people who are in their late sixties, seventies, who are doing consultancy work, and they're really busy. You know, they're enjoying it. They're down at the gym in the morning. They're working out and they're going to work and they're doing something that's their expertise, they're passionate about it, and they really enjoy it. And they're working hard. They maybe don't have to, but they're doing it because they enjoy it. Today in the
2: podcast, we have an, another guest with us. Uh, we have Michael. Introduce yourself. Michael Kearns, Vice President of Enterprise at TopTel. As we think about the evolution of marketplaces, we're here at Staffing Industry Analyst Executive Forum. You know, everybody's here talking about the future of the, the staffing industry. Both of you represent the very future of how companies will engage talent. If I'm at a company right now, let's say I'm a, a procurement person or an, a CHRO thinking about, look, I've heard about total talent. I've heard about these platforms. I know that my business needs faster access to talent. If you were talking to those executives who you know work with the traditional MSPs and, and you know, VMS systems, and how
1: do you help them navigate this? This is not just our point of view, but I think most people in our space's point of view There's a lot of different options out there, and different options are meant for different purposes. I would say the first thing is just try it. Try some of them, see what works, see what doesn't work. For complex organizations, building lots of different teams to accomplish lots of different objectives, there's not one answer. There's always going to be lots of different sources of talent that are appropriate for different parts of your business, and and you got to try it. The old playbook is shrink the suppliers, consolidate spend, and
2: what led you to found Talon, and what problem were you trying to solve?
0: I actually started out moving into the marketplace space. One of the things that became apparent to me very quickly was that large organizations were coming to us. We weren't really expecting to be dealing with large organizations initially. They were coming to us and saying, we love your marketplace, yeah, that's great, but actually we're not really that interested in that. What we're interested in is using your technology to manage an existing population we're already aware of, we already know these people. They're referrals, they're alumni, they're silver medalists, they're contractors that have worked for us before, or we've got a freelancer problem and we need to get on top of it. So it was really noticing a gap, which the gap has come about through the evolution of the contingent workforce market. So in my opinion, the the kind of direct sourcing piece alongside the use of marketplaces, these are the inevitable next steps within the contingent workforce evolution. So you've gone from major changes in workforce patterns over the last 60 years to the point where contingent workers are now 41% of the workforce for large organisations. So that growth led to the explosion of the staffing agency model, which very rapidly got out of hand and led to organisations having to manage crazy situations where they've got too many agencies, like you're talking about, they, they needed rationalising. It led to a situation where you had MSPs coming into play. So MSPs are adding people and structure process to manage this whole vendor scenario. And then over the last 15 years, you've had 85% of large organizations adopting vendor management systems, so agency management technology. And if you look at the kind of disruption that has occurred in other markets like travel, estate agency or real estate, holidays, et cetera, large organizations are now looking to use technology to automate an existing manual process so that they can cut out the middleman and and basically go direct. And that's not just a staffing comment. That's a, a comment, like
2: you said, across everything to your point, I don't call a travel agency anymore. I don't call a taxi dispatch. I don't just in my life in general, making things more efficient and passing that savings on to the end user, whoever the customer is, is just a trend in general.
0: Not having that is a hugely missed opportunity for a lot of big clients. You know, they don't recycle referrals effectively. They don't recycle alumni. They're working with people that they already know. They're just not engaging with them directly. So the other missed opportunity there is a brand. Because large organizations have spent huge amounts of money on their employer value proposition. Why aren't they applying that to all of their effective workforce channels?
2: Well, one of the things that Michael and I were talking about before we, we went on air was most of the staffing, traditional staffing companies still rely on on the premise that I need to have a person that shows up in my office. Right. And so if I need a software dev or if I need a designer, or if I need any kind of knowledge work, I mean, there are certain types of work that, of course, need to be on site. And so when I, when I think of these freelance management systems, I still don't see organizations or even staffing companies start to embrace that there is a world outside of the local place where people need to show up, which has always seemed of crazy to me that like we're here in London, and if, you, if, you, if you don't work within 50 miles or wherever the tube can take you to get to and from work, well, then you don't exist to that organization. And with 7 billion people on the planet, how Michael does models like TopTal, that
1: is a global workforce? integrate with staffing companies and freelance management systems. I'd say first for staffing companies right now it's difficult. And that's why I was going to ask Johnny is do you live as a separate thing or do you fit within the kind of MSP VMS stack?
0: So we can basically fit within that existing infrastructure. So we within a VMS scenario. So with one of our clients, a European logistics company, they use one of the big VMS players. We sit as a supplier Within that VMS, so effectively a requirement can either go out to their agency supply chain, or it can come to their direct source talent pool. So it's we're a, we're an additional supplier within that infrastructure. We can work with an MSP, we can work with uh, alongside a VMS. So it's designed to kind of complement that existing infrastructure. It sits alongside rather than being in direct competition with any part of it. Really,
1: you hear two terms used frequently. You have an FMS. What's the difference between? a freelancing program and a staffing program? Are they the same?
0: That is a really good question. It reminds me of this year's CWS summit, where I did a roundtable and it was on basically the use of freelancers versus agency temps. And I don't think anybody in any of those roundtables, I don't think we're two people who had the same definition of what a freelancer actually is. So it really comes down to how people view their workforce, how they segment it. But If you look at a freelancer management scenario versus a direct sourcing staffing program, quite often there really isn't much difference between the two. People might look at them slightly differently. It starts going into the detail of who's the employer of record, you know, how are these people getting paid and what basis are they engaged? But people tend to look at it and say, what's the duration? So freelancers are quite often classed as being shorter duration. But these are really kind of anecdotal type descriptions. I wouldn't say there's hard and fast as to what fits where. When I think of freelancers, it's project-based and outcome-based, where in my experience at, at
2: big companies, Hiring staffing agencies are usually managed service agreements or like you said, like I'm I'm paying to have someone participate with us for a quarter or two quarter, three quarters, four quarters versus, hey, I have a very specific project. It has very specific deliverables. It's almost like SOW work in some ways, except for it's more direct and it's it's got a lot less overhead usually because freelancers can be acquired and you can hire them through a, a cloud based platform.
0: Yeah, I think those are definitely some of the traditional distinctions in the sense that I wouldn't say necessarily freelance work is always on a fixed deliverable basis, but generally it's going to be shorter term. But the boundaries really seem to be blurring with it all. And the way we view it is it's on-demand talent and it's it's directly engaged non-employees in our kind of model.
1: Yeah, it almost seems like right now the distinction is between more modern engagement methods and traditional engagement methods and kind of traditional engagement methods or staffing And modern engagement methods are freelancing, but it's essentially oftentimes the same people doing the same work.
0: Yeah, and ultimately, it's those those people have got the talent that is required. When you talk about things like statement of work and fixed deliverables, that's quite interesting in the current climate, particularly in the UK, with legislation like IR35, which ties in with the 1099W2 scenario in the US, where people are trying to find ways to engage workers effectively without falling foul of um, employment legislation and tax laws so i think there's there are a lot of people that are kind of identifying the opportunities where someone might be a contractor at the moment but actually are they just a disguised employee if they're just sitting there for a 24 month period coming into the office working as part of the team maybe even managing people using an office pc you know <laughs> th- that's the reason that governments all over the world are looking at these types of issues then organizations are starting to have to look at this now and say okay could we engage these people differently we still need their talent but can they deliver it in a different way can we actually segment it and say you're going to be delivering this specific thing and therefore we can break it down into milestones and so i think there's there's some transition going on with strategically within organizations where they're looking at how they need to engage these people and that does map on to these kind of traditional patterns that people have seen and, and i think it's shifting it slightly where it's it's blurring the boundaries ultimately you need that talent you need the work delivered and it's what's the most effective way to achieve that
2: AB 5 in the US, which is the you know, same sort of law where the US government is trying to figure out, or, well, California is specifically trying to figure out where the line is. And so they pass this legislation, AB 5. And now the truckers are upset. The music industry's upset. The film industry's upset. And I use a bunch of writers in, in the staffing.com world. And one of the things that came out of that is if I have a writer write more than 35 articles, could be a freelance writer li- living someplace in California, if they write more than 35 articles, now they're an employee. And so while it sounds simple to a lot of people and, and everybody wants to do the right thing, the job market, I think, as, as both of you said, is, it's very complex. Not only how people want to work, but where do you draw this line arbitrarily as governments try to figure out how to collect the tax revenue that, right. they're, that they're not getting from people that they used to get from the companies.
0: It kind of covers an area that I think is really important, which is structure, visibility, and control. So things like that can help manage risk in all sorts of areas, including what you're spending, who you've got working for you, but also when it comes to staying on the right side of this employment legislation, people need to be able to see what's going on. And if you look at a traditional freelancer scenario, that is a more of a scenario where typically people fall through the cracks in the organization. I'm not going in and I'm not working for that organization. I'm working for Dave in marketing, because I know Dave. I and mean, right. he, He's had me do some strategy work for him before. So I don't even have a contract. You know, I've just got a purchase order and I'm invoicing the finance department. So that's where things. there's this kind of hidden workforce that needs to be utilized effectively, but also managed properly. Well, we were talking about cost versus quality. When you talk about the transparency,
2: there's there's compliance and there's a lot of reasons why you want transparency, that hidden workforce. But there's a lot of people that are high quality in your organization. Maybe it's alumni. Maybe it's talk about Dave who hired a a dev that did an amazing job. And then how does Susan over in maybe another division somewhere get access to that same high quality person? But my experience at, at large companies is cost is always an issue, but more and more Large organizations want quality and speed. Mm. You know, they want to be able to go out there, find the right person, high quality. And and I've engaged with experts that have cost me a little more per hour, but have saved me gosh knows how many hours because they were the right expert who got something done and made the outcome better. So Michael, how do you think of this quality versus cost discussion?
1: There's a reason you're engaging people with a certain skill set to begin with, which is you believe that their experience, their knowledge base, their capabilities, their training will help you drive an outcome that you couldn't drive yourself or you couldn't you know, drive with just the people you have around you. So just by its very definition, when you engage outside people, you think their expertise matters. What we see is an amazing person can be 10x, a just okay person. And certainly an unqualified person can can actually have sometimes a negative impact. Unfortunately... I think a lot of especially in the staffing world and it makes sense but they started focused on commoditized skill sets and one of the primary drivers was to just drive down costs because it was they're all commodity skill sets but as these programs expand into more more differentiated work but also just companies as a whole the competitive landscape changes so you know a grocery store is now a technology company all of a sudden it's a different set of skill sets that are at the front of the concern base and it's a different game. There's something interesting about a freelance management system that is a little different than on-demand talent.
2: It's where companies are trying to create their own private cloud. How does Talon help curate and provide transparency to that that group of people?
0: Yeah, so I think it's a really interesting bridge between large organizations and this on-demand workforce. So at the moment, I think there are barriers for large organizations the barriers to the gig economy or to a marketplace are generally based around quality, risk and process for a large organization. I think there are different ways to try and solve this problem, but ultimately it comes down to trust for that organization being able to engage somebody. So at the moment, if they go through a recruitment agency, they're, they're relying on that recruitment agency to vet that person.
2: And, and a lot of times they have a personal relationship, so that trust When you say a recruiter is actually a person who knows the recruiter and has delivered for them before, and so there is a a personal connection that, that helps bridge that trust.
0: Yeah, and there's absolutely no doubt good recruiters are very, very valuable to businesses, and they will continue to be. However, companies are missing a massive opportunity where there's people that they know that they already have trust established with, that they're not recycling effectively, they're not engaging with them effectively. So overcoming these barriers of quality, risk, and process you either need a marketplace that is very highly vetted and therefore trusted. And this particularly applies when you're talking about remote scenarios. Or alternatively, that organization can use their own brand to build their own private talent population that they have a a specific one-to-one relationship with. So not only are they building up people, a a pool of people that they know are of the right quality, gone through the right compliance steps for them to be able to engage them really rapidly and Really confidently, it's also allowing them to engage with them and build a longer term relationship. And I think that, in my opinion, the way that this landscape is going to evolve is that you will have highly trusted marketplaces working as acquisition channels into multiple clients. You'll also have big brands and even medium to large organizations building their own following, their own talent population who are really part of their future workforce where they're engaging with them on a role-specific basis, very effectively using technology. And they're also engaging with them for the long term by keeping them interested, maybe upskilling them, getting them to buy into what they're doing and their approach. So ultimately, it's about saving costs by cutting out the use of recruitment agencies where it's genuinely not needed.
2: And putting that money directly into the hands of the talent in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, yeah. You can invest more money into getting higher quality talent than paying for the administration and, and the friction that traditional agencies represent.
0: Yeah, and an interesting take on that is we've seen some public sector organisations in the UK The work slightly more vocational. If, For example, it's in healthcare, but they can't pay the same as some of the private tech companies that might be around them. So therefore, if they can put in a directly sourced talent pool using technology like Talon or something similar, then the money that they save on using recruitment agencies, which is generally they'll save 70% of that markup cost, they can actually apply that to increasing the hourly rate. So they can pay more, they can, they can attract that talent of people who might be vocationally driven, but tied to the idea of, I need to be earning what I'm worth.
2: You were talking about companies going direct, and, and like, there's no company that represents going direct and, and driving efficiency like Amazon. I think a couple of weeks ago, Amazon launched AWS IQ. And for me, it was this watershed moment that Amazon has traditionally used. They have Amazon Flex, which you know, has helped with one day delivery of our packages and their fulfillment center. Like they have all sorts of strategies around on demand, but now they're doing AWS cloud developers. It's not at the low end. I mean, I would not say that you were talking, Michael, about commodity work. I would not say cloud deployment is commodity work. Definitely not. You look at Amazon, which is a big company, a big branded company, taking a step into providing talent direct to their customers through a curated cloud. Do you think that's a a fad? Like, oh, hey, Amazon's probably on the wrong side of history, or is it the beginning of something that is going to fundamentally change as big companies want to provide direct solutions to their
1: customers? I don't know if I'd call it a fad, but I think that any company needs to think about how many things are you going to be focused on and how many things are you going to be great at? That's a question for them. I mean, they've managed to be great at a lot of things, but I think there's a limit for any company. But for me, the bigger question is, and this is a question I had for Johnny is the more of these things that are out there. So if all, every big company has private pools and there's a bunch of trusted marketplaces and then some software providers have specialized skill sets for talent that gets really complicated really fast because all of a sudden, I have to say, am I in you know the private network of these four companies, plus these marketplaces, plus this Amazon offering, and all of a sudden, I'm now interacting with eight, nine, 10 different sources of opportunity. When you look at that, how do you manage the talent experience, but how do you make sure that people don't get lost? There's not one person caring for that that individual, right? All of a sudden, it's it's, it's not quite that they're out in the wilderness, but it's pretty close.
0: That's a really interesting question. I mean, if you look at the on-demand talent landscape, there's a lot of onus of responsibility on the individual, on the individual contractor or freelancer. And that's partly the choice they make by being independent, by being a little bit entrepreneurial, by being an individual who wants to do the work they want to do in the way that they want to do it. There is an onus of responsibility on them. And I think we're not at the point where, in my opinion, that's a serious issue yet. But that's definitely the sort of thing that, for example, we, we have on our technology roadmap even if you've got multiple instances of similar companies using our product, how do you manage that when candidates might have to have different compliance requirements and different onboarding requirements for different organisations, so they might have a slightly different profile, for example, how do you map that in so that it's easier for a candidate to work across multiple clients, but then when you start looking to expand that out to multiple platforms, then you've got other issues with that. I think there will be solutions for that, and in, in, in some ways it reminds me of the evolution of the job board market. So I spent 15 years in that industry, and having seen it evolve from global generalist, let's say monster.com, to national generalists, to industry-specific vertical players, to then industry and location specialists, and then ultimately to aggregators like Indeed. And I think a similar thing is happening in the on-demand market. I think it's happening more rapidly because you've already got Aggregators, people like Fulcrum out there who are trying to get some aggregation going. I think that's a really interesting play. And those sort of plays, I think there'll be more of that sort of thing happening. That's one of the reasons I got into this industry, was because I was involved in the trade sale of the, the company I used to work for. And I was involved in a large piece of research before that sale. And one of the things I really identified was this growth of this on demand workforce. And coming from that job board world, I wanted to apply the lessons I'd learned over 15 years in those type of chicken and egg marketplace interactions to this evolving engagement landscape. And that's one of the things that I think is going to be really interesting. Do I have a specific solution to that problem right now? No, I don't. But I think there will be solutions for it. And it depends how it evolves, how many players end up being out there, what sort of mix clients use.
1: One thing you mentioned a minute ago was that a lot of the folks in in this world today, from a talent perspective, you need to be somewhat entrepreneurial, etc. Do you think we as an industry are going to get to the point where, not just for those folks, but just, right, like I started in consulting. The reason why was because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted exposure to a lot of different work, a lot of different projects, a lot of different industries. Do you think we as an industry will get to the point where someone coming into the workforce like me now, or five years from now, will be a viable alternative, right, to someone who just wants varied experiences, but isn't super entrepreneurial? Will we ever offer the kind of richness of opportunity and quote unquote stability to be kind of a mass market source of opportunity for folks entering the
0: workforce? If you consider where you came into this market, what you're doing in this market now, you were ahead of the curve. So you needed to be entrepreneurial. I don't think as this way of working evolves, I don't think that will be such a requirement because it will be more the norm. And in terms of having the varied opportunities people will be in a far better position in terms of having the visibility of multiple opportunities. So I think it will be easier. It's just choice, really, isn't it? That's what on-demand is all about. It is. One other thing just to mention, just, just kind of referring to that previous point around who's looking after this individual or who's, who's running this, who's managing everything, where there are multiple acquisition channels that organisations are using in their blended workforce – Now, obviously, the client has a certain responsibility. Each client has a certain responsibility to manage all of their different channels and to have a centralised strategy. But also, I think there's a real opportunity for MSPs in this area to really contribute and add that people and management process to these sorts of scenarios where they're engaging with quality marketplaces, they're engaging with direct sourcing platforms, they're engaging with their high-quality agency suppliers as well. So I think there are opportunities for things to be consolidated at that level but when you look at an individual level, I think there's there's opportunities for technology in that area and there are opportunities for models to interact with each other in different ways.
2: One of the things we saw this morning, the, the keynote presentation where the head researcher for uh, SIA was, they asked their customer base of companies let's talk about all these different types of talent models and which ones do you think over the next five years are going to grow and which one of those things are going to decline. It was the first time I saw real numbers that, and I want to address something you said, Michael, this idea of, well, if you have a full-time job, you have security. And if you don't have a full-time job and you're an independent worker, there's a lot of risk. And I think historically that that's been true. And, you know, to a lot of degree now, being a freelancer has risk and you need to be uh, entrepreneurial and a a go-getter and that kind of stuff. But the data they were showing today showed that the, a significant amount of growth is going to be with independent work going forward. Across the board, it was green, 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 green. And, and you know, how you, how you got that independent work again is, is still bifurcated and, and distributed. But there was the only place that was negative from all of those companies was full time work. And so this idea that full time work is going to continue to be this stable thing. And this other thing called freelancer on-demand work is going to be this unstable thing. I, like, it was, I think we're at a really, really critical point right now, maybe since 2008, and, and now it's just coming to be, where the numbers are starting to show, hey, there's going to be a decline in full-time work. And yes, as, as soon as the courts figure it out and there's a construct that the lawyers can get their head around and the procurement can figure out, you may see an acceleration of moving to more independent talent. And so companies who are progressive in thinking about this space will be ahead and and on trend versus trying to catch up. If I had to go and ask each of you, is the next five years going to be a step function change or is it 5%, 6% growth in both FMSs and on-demand marketplaces? What does the next five years look like?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think there are certain things going on, regulatory changes, That could have significant impacts on potentially speeding transition up. I think in terms of full time work, I personally think there is no security. I think it's an illusion. In terms of companies transitioning, so at the moment you have eighty five percent of large organizations are using a vendor management system. I would expect in five years' time, eighty five percent of those companies will also be doing a direct sourcing program and using platforms as well, marketplace platforms. So, in terms of the volume of transition, it's hard to say, as in non-employed versus employed. But of the population that are non-employed, I think they'll be doing that in a different way, disrupting the traditional agency model. So, I think the agency model is going that that is going to change significantly in terms of the split between perm and employed in the next five years. That's really hard to say. But even if you're talking six to ten percent growth, that's still significant,
2: and it represents a disruption of something that's always been considered stable. To your point,
1: Michael. I mean, I, I agree with Johnny. I think that there's been a trend probably since the 80s of permanent versus talent from the outside, right? And that takes on lots of different forms. That takes on outsourcing, that takes on temp agency, that takes on platform, whatever. And that, that's been a strong trend and that'll continue. But I agree with Johnny. I think probably the more pronounced change will be the composition of that percentage that's kind of outside talent. And I think that a lot of these new models are going to gain traction and share at, at a rapid rate. I mean, we see the first year we were here, it was, why would I care? Second year was, oh, that's interesting. We should think about it. This year, it's everyone's either trying it or has a plan to try it and pilot it. That's a three-year period. I mean, for, for an industry that has
2: been, is this big and, and monolithic and let's just say not progressive from a technology perspective, that's a pretty quick turn on that thinking.
1: It is. And the reason I think the composition is going to change so quickly is because now we know, right, amongst all of us that almost every large organization in the world is trying these concepts actively at the moment. We're all in this for a reason. It's because we think these models provide additional value to organizations. So if they're all trying it, and it's a better product, then of course, they're going to adopt it. And I think we're going to see, and we are personally seeing just a, a really high rate of adoption that's building up steam. So I think that's the trend for the next five years. This is one of my favorite parts of the show. Uh, Johnny, I'm going to go to you. It's called Rapid Fire. I'm going to ask you five questions.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, and I want you to say the first thing that comes to mind. And I do give you the right to ask me two questions if you want to at the end. Ready? Okay. What's one thing
0: about you that's not
2: on your LinkedIn profile?
0: My slightly hairy feet. (laughs) Well played.
2: If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why?
0: David Attenborough, because I think he lives the most interesting life. His access to travel and the natural world and all of his knowledge, I'd be David Attenborough.
2: I'm looking forward to asking you this question. If you were stranded on a tropical island, what two things would you want with you?
0: My stand-up paddleboard and a paddle. What book or movies inspired you over the past year? A book that has really inspired me is a novel that was written by one of my friends, which has just been published. And the reason it inspired me is because he just went out there and did it. It was a great book. It's his first ever published novel. He's got two others on the way. He's got sold the film rights to them and stuff like that. And, you know, that's what really inspired me. The name of the book is Trance by Adam Southwood. Great. And we'll have that in the show notes, of
2: course. Last question. What is better, being radically curious or having attention to detail?
0: For me, being radically curious. Now... I'll give you the opportunity to ask me any two questions you would like. What was the thing that drove you to really engage with this, this model and this market?
2: First, like when the day that I found that that I could go to an, a website and engage with someone that had not only amazing talent, but was teaching me things, like when I engage with a freelancer, a really good one, like somebody who's good at design or somebody, a dev that's good and like brings new ideas or a market researcher, my mind was just blown. I've spent 20 years in big tech and I've worked with a lot of staffing firms, a lot of full-time employees. And the people that I was seeing out in the freelance market were very entrepreneurial. They had a lot of passion and pride of of the work that they did and they were constantly reskilled. And so they brought like all of the latest and greatest thinking on whatever their domain was. And so that inspired me. I mean, my current journey now, and I think you said it and it really resonates with me, is the path of being a full-time employee, just that safety doesn't exist. And so the question was, was I gonna be, a victim of, of sort of that uncertainty and then one day wake up and not have choice? Or was I going to take control of my path and start charting it out? You know, And then there's risk and there's all sorts of things with it. And so that's kind of what makes me wake up every day and, you know, question my assumptions and really try to figure this out.
0: Okay. Second question, who's your hero and why? My father, actually. And, and I know that
2: may sound cliche, but I think in a lot of ways, he represented someone who woke up every day, put his pants on, put two feet in front of the other and, and kept going and did the best he could for a family and had a amazing you know, job and, and created a sense of safety and, and all of those things that I hope to be for, for my kid. And so I, he is truly one of the people that I look up to. And every day I'm like, I think I get to like 80% of the man that he is. And so that's what I try to do.
0: I've got one more question for you. Go. If you were a male, what would you be and why? I think you'd be jambalaya. I'd be like either jambalaya or
2: gumbo. And and the reason I say that is every time I make it, so I live in Seattle now. And every time I make it, they're like, "Did you people really eat?" And, in first, and everybody says, "You people." So I look at the first time. everybody's like, "You people." It's one of those things that reminds me of being with like tons of friends and family and drinking beer and like it. And, it, and, and gumbo's and jambalaya are just made up of like anything that you kill or find like in the old days like anything you kill or find was put in a pot and that's called dinner so wait well, hey, johnny thank you so much and, and michael thanks so much for being here if i want to learn if i want to get in touch with you or learn more about talent how do i do that
0: Talonfms.com.
2: and i can i'm assuming i can find
0: you on linkedin yeah absolutely
2: i'm your host paul estes thank you for listening to the talent economy podcast Learn more about the future of work and the transformation of the staffing industry from those leading the conversation at staffing.com, where you can hear from experts, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and get access to the best industry research on the future of staffing. If you've enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or just tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Talent Economy.